So we're going to read, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 1, some verses there, and then we're going to move into chapter 2. Good Christmas message, Christmas message this is. <clears throat> so Acts 1, reading from verse 6 through to 11. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set these dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Sorry, we're going on to verse 11, sorry. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way. He saw him go. And now chapter 2 and verses 42 to 47. The believers form a community. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Amen. And may the Lord bless you as you open these passages up to us. Waiting. Now, this morning... Alison, when she did the reading, used the word waiting. And the subject of James's sermon was waiting and hope. Well, you know how if you've been waiting for a sermon on waiting? Well, guess what? You wait so long that two sermons come up on the same day called waiting. Because... That's what I was going to talk about. But anyway, we'll see what happens. I think it's a wee bit different from yours. I hope so, anyway. So, are you good at waiting? Are you patient? Does it bother you if you've got to wait a while for something? Well, I've been thinking about waiting. And I think as I'm getting older, I'm not so good at waiting. 
Usually this comes out in impatience or even frustration. So here are a few examples of my impatience, and maybe some of them will resonate with you. So, what about that little wheel you get in the television? Seeing when you're downloading a program from iPlayer or Netflix or whatever it is, whatever streaming service, and you get that wee wheel and it goes round and round. Well, I get impatient at that. It drives me nuts when it doesn't load up. And usually Ron is saying, have you got that program yet? No, it's just gone round in circles. So that's when I get impatient. And then there's traffic lights. How about traffic lights? Now, how are we all getting on with the traffic lights down at the waterside? Are we enjoying having the traffic lights down at the waterside? Because every time I come up to them, they go red. And I'm usually trying to get somewhere fairly quickly. So we've got friends who live in Paisley and usually go up the M77 to, to see them. And when, the way we come off, there are about seven sets of traffic lights that you have to go through to get to the bit of Paisley, the 11. And it drives me nuts. I mean, how can you have it's, it's on the space of about half a mile. Why do you need seven sets of traffic lights? So, yeah, I'm not very good at waiting for them. I'm a bit grumpy. But there is good waiting. So, when I get the train up to Glasgow, I like to get there in good time. So, at, if I get the train at 7.33, whatever it is, be assured about that, 20 past 7, I'm the first person on the platform because I want to go and get my ticket. I want to be there in good time. So that, that for me is good waiting because it's unprepared and ready. But of course, this can change when the board suddenly changes to delayed. Good waiting has turned into bad waiting. So are we patient? Are we impatient? Does it bother us? So Advent... We are heading into Advent, a time of waiting. For children, it's a great time of excitement. The first three doors of the Advent calendar have already been opened. There is a sense of expectation. The question is asked, how many days till Christmas Day is it now? The countdown is on. So, I want to think about what is Advent? So a couple of definitions I found. Advent is a period of spiritual preparation in which many Christians make themselves ready for the coming or birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Celebrating Advent typically involves a season of prayer, fasting and repentance, followed by anticipation, hope and joy. Many Christians celebrate Advent not only by thanking God for Christ's first coming to earth as a baby, but also for his presence among us today through the Holy Spirit and in preparation and anticipation of his final coming at the end of the age. And then it went, goes on to say, later in the 6th century, St. Gregory the Great was the first to associate this season of Advent with the coming of Christ 
Originally, it was not the coming of the Christ child that was anticipated, but the second coming of Christ. And another definition, and James, I know you're going to be shocked of this, it's from Wikipedia. So, it's okay though, I think. From Wikipedia. I mean, we all look at Wikipedia, don't we? Advent is a season observed in most Christian denominations as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for both the celebration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas and the return of Christ at the second coming. Advent is the beginning of the liturgical year in Western Christianity. The name was adopted from Latin Adventus, coming arrival, translating Greek parousia, I wish I hadn't started this, translating Greek parousia from the New Testament, originally referring to the second coming. The season of Advent in the Christian calendar anticipates the coming of Christ from three different perspectives. The physical nativity in Bethlehem, the reception of Christ in the heart of the believer, and the eschatological second coming. I suspect that if we did a poll of those who attend church on a regular basis, the majority of people would say that Advent is all about the 25th of December, a celebration of the physical nativity in Bethlehem, Christ coming as a baby into the world, God's Son made incarnate. Now, some of you who are better read than me will, of course, recognize the two other aspects his presence from among us today through the Holy Spirit, and the anticipated second coming of Jesus. So, from this we should take it that Advent is much more than just the anticipation of the 25th of December. Which brings me back to waiting. To James's credit, when he asks people to do this sort of thing and prepare a reflection, he gives us plenty warning in time, and I, I usually need it. But as I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you this evening, the word waiting kept coming to my mind. So, in a spiritual sense, are we good about waiting? I think we can all manage to wait for Christmas Day. But what about waiting for God? What about waiting for Jesus? And what about waiting for his return? Early on in my journey of contemplating this evening, I was talking to a Christian friend and we were reflecting on the war in the Holy Land between Israel and the Hamas. He told me about the reaction of one of his friends in his church. Whilst he saw the tragedy in war, lives lost, buildings and infrastructure destroyed, his friend seemed to have a strange sense of excitement. It appears that what she was reading into the tragic events in the Middle East was that this was an indication of the start of the end times that it indicated to her 
that the second coming was soon. There are two things that I take from this. First of all, I don't think we are meant to draw any pleasure from the human suffering being experienced in the Middle East at the moment. But perhaps more importantly, we should be cautious about misinterpreting God's idea of time by how we understand the passing of time. For human beings, our lives on earth are finite and almost a mere nothing in the context of God's creation. Whilst our earthly lives have a beginning and an end and are measurable in years, God is eternal. He's infinite. In 2 Peter chapter 3 we read, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So to reflect on God's time frame, let's think a little bit further. How long did mankind have to wait for the words of the prophets to come about when they foretold the birth of Jesus? Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Isaiah lived 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past and will come from you. The prophecy of Micah was written 800 years before Christ was born. And Hosea 11.1, 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. Hosea wrote this 800 years before Christ was born. And just as you reflected on 400 years ago, I was thinking, well, 700 years ago and 800 years ago, 700 years ago, Robert the Bruce and William Wallace were going about this land. The Battle of Larks took place in 1263. And I think for all of us, that seems like a very long time ago, doesn't it? We can't really imagine 800 years ago. The prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah and then the world had to wait patiently 
for 800 years for it to happen. Can I suggest that God's timeline is markedly different from ours? So waiting for Christ's return. If I've learnt something in my preparation, it's that Advent is more than just the 25th of December, and therefore we should not dismiss or ignore the anticipation of Christ's return. Indeed, in Matthew 24, verse 44, we read, You must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. But my question is, what are we meant to do while we're waiting? Stephen read two passages from Acts, chapter 1, 6 to 11, and chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. In chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we read, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set these dates and times, and they are not for you to know. We should appreciate and understand the excitement of the disciples. Think about what they had experienced in a relatively short period of time in their lives. Their teacher and rabbi crucified, then raised from the dead in a marvelously mystifying event. It is all starting to fall in place, all the things they'd taught them, so naturally they have to ask the question, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? But Jesus immediately replies to curb their enthusiasm. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. And then in verses 10 and 11, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven that someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So what are these verses telling us about Christ's return? First of all, it's in God's hands. We should not worry about it. God will set the time when Christ will return. And as if the word of Jesus is not enough, for the disciples, then two angels appear and tell and told them, someday he will return from heaven in the same way as you saw him go. I like, I like the words that they use in the New Living Translation, whereas the NIV says they were looking intently. The New Living Translation says strained. You can have imagine, you, you imagine them kind of looking, you know, up, there's a cloud come across it. I mean, I always think, you know, we have to remember, for me, I always have to remember the disciples were just human beings like us, and they were, they were staring up in the sky. Their, their necks were straining, probably in their tiptoes, trying to see what was going on. 
as they saw this miraculous, wonderful thing happen to them. But instead of peering upwards, the disciples were told to get on with it. They headed back to Jerusalem and brought all the believers together. And they were, it says, they were united in prayer. So at this time of Advent, whilst we should anticipate the return of Christ and may figuratively look upwards in anticipation of his return, perhaps our primary focus should be to get on with it. And so I conclude with the verses from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The early church was devoted to learning God's word. They were excited about their salvation and to living lives that honoured God. The early church was united. They were devoted to each other, the gospel, and the gospel that not only saved eternal lives, but drastically changed their everyday lives and their relationships. The early church was sacrificial. From their closeness and love to one another flowed unselfish and blessed all church members. The early church was hospitable. People were not only sharing resources, but were joyfully opening their homes to hold gatherings and share time and meals together. The early church was joyful. There was a natural God-given outpouring of joy despite persecution, despite ridicule. And the church was expanding, expanding. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So, in conclusion, it's fine to ponder and looking up and thinking about Christ's return. But perhaps we should be reflecting on the apostles. They stopped looking up and got on with it and look at what they came up with. With a bit of help from the Holy Spirit, that early church seems a pretty good place to aspire to. Waiting is fine, but there's a job to be done in the meantime. Will we get on with it? Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the joy of the season of Advent, the celebration of the birth of Jesus, his presence amongst us today through the power of your Holy Spirit and the promise that one day he will return. May our response to your gifts be a desire to make this place a church which is devoted to you, where we are devoted to our community, where we as believers are united in our service, offering hospitality to all and expressing our joy for all that God has done for us. Amen.